0: there's a song that came out years and years ago by Ronnie Millsap. Some of you know Ronnie Millsap. Some of you probably still play a little Ronnie Millsap every once in a while in your car around the house, but he had a song called What a Difference You've Made in My Life. And Ronnie Millsap was singing about a particular woman that he met who changed his view on love and romance, and and he was just absolutely different. This, this pattern he had had in his life of of tough relationships was solved by one particular woman. And he's saying about her, what a difference you've made in my life. Everything was different. Sunshine all the time, he said now. What a difference you've made in my life. Ronnie Millsap understood that people can make a huge difference. There can be something that a person does or brings into your life that shapes you in such a way that changes your view, that changes your mind, and sets you on a different course. If I were to ask you this morning, who is it that you would say to someone what a difference you've made in my life? You could probably make a quick list, at least three to five people right off the top of your head, that you'd say this person has made a tremendous difference in my life. I think back over my life and There are several different people, and I I think of folks even outside of my family. Obviously, my parents being the first and greatest shapers of my life. But I, I think of my youth pastor, a man named Kerry Jones, who I still communicate with from time to time. But Kerry was at our church for about 12 years, and so when he first came, I was in early elementary school, and and he didn't leave our church until I was in college, and so I got to be there and experience his ministry and all of that for so many years, he was such a tremendous, tremendous influence in my life. So much of of how I view ministry, even how I preach, quite honestly, is due to a lot of his influence. And then I think of, of different coaches that I had, and what tremendous differences they made in my life, both on and off the field. And then, since then, the time between when I left college and now, it's been a lot of friends that have made a tremendous difference. fellows that I maybe have lost contact with or renewed contact or maybe have been in touch with them all along and it's been this interesting relationship of sharpening one another. But I, I wonder when you think of those people, who is it that comes to mind and, and why? Odds are it's going to be because they went out of their way to help you in some particular area of your life. Maybe they were a tremendous mentor for you, and you say, "Well, I don't know where I would be today if not for their influence in my life. If they had not done this or that, I have no idea where I'd be. Many of you are sitting here this morning, and you say, I'm here today, literally here today because of the influence of that person in my life. Some of you now have ongoing relationships, and you say, I don't know where I would be spiritually. Thank God for this person. I want to focus today on the kinds of people that I believe God sends into our lives to help make us the kind of people that He wants us to be. I have a a few assumptions today about you, just so you know. I think about you and make assumptions. How's that? I have a few assumptions that I have about you today. First of all, I assume that many of you here today are playing a variety of roles in your life whatever they may be. You've got a lot of different roles you play. You have roles that you play in your job, if you have one. You have roles you play in school, if you're going there, or in your family, or with friends, or wherever it may be. You, you are playing a variety of roles, and my assumption is that some of those are very difficult. Not always easy in those roles. My assumption also is that there is something about you, something in you, maybe it's buried deep down inside, but there's something in you that wants that really wants your life to be what God wants it to be. I honestly don't believe that you would show up this morning if there wasn't something, maybe buried deep down inside, maybe you don't recognize it, but if there wasn't something about you that said, you know, I really do want my life to be what God wants it to be. Now, I may not know how to get there. I may have suppressed it. I may have it way down deep, but there's something about me that really wants my life to be what God wants it to be. That's an assumption. My third assumption is that you have evaluated your life, and you're currently either beating yourself up, or you're giving up in certain areas of life. You look at your life and you find all of your shortcomings, and you're beating yourself up over those things, or you're giving up in certain areas. So my assumptions are that you're playing a variety of roles that are difficult, that deep down inside... You want your life to be what God wants it to be, but you find your shortcomings, you see them so clearly that you're beating yourself up or giving up. And I hope today to show you that the kinds of people God wants to bring into your life will help you when it comes to playing that variety of roles that you play, even when they're difficult. Those people can help you become the person that God wants you to be, and they can help you when you evaluate your life and you say, I'm falling short in this area. They can help you get out of the cycle of beating yourself up or giving up. The scripture we're going to look at is just one verse this morning. If you got a Bible handy or the handout there that we gave to you in the bulletin, it'll be on the screen as well. I just want to look at this real quick. It's a very short scripture. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you haven't. This is a classic passage of Scripture, a classic verse, actually, in Scripture that talks about the relationships that we have that can help make us who God wants us to be. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen puts it this way, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Our series is called Together... We're talking about the power, the benefit, the necessity of godly relationships that will help us become the people that God wants us to be. Christianity is not a solo sport. It is a team sport, if you will. From the very beginning, when God created Adam, the first man, what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. And so from the very beginning, God recognized the great value and did something about this necessity of human relationships. You can't go through life alone and expect to be all that God wants you to be. Now, I will admit that sometimes life on your own is easier because you don't have to deal with those knuckleheads anymore, right? You know who I'm talking about. They're sitting next to you. It's okay. You know who I'm talking about. But let me just encourage you, if I can, to recognize... That Those knuckleheads may or may not be the people that God wants to shape your life, but let me tell you, you need folks with you along the way, and God has designed it that way. It's okay to need those folks. So that's what our series is about. Proverbs, the book from which we, we take our verse this morning, Proverbs is a collection of wise statements. It's instruction. It's, it's, it's sayings about life. And if you read the book of Proverbs on a regular basis, you'll realize just how relevant the Bible is to life. Sometimes you'll hear, well, this, this old ancient book, what does it have to say? It was written so long ago. Most of the time, that comes from people, number one, who are not believers in Jesus. Number two, who don't read it and understand actually how to study it, so they don't realize how relevant the Scripture actually is. Proverbs shows you every single verse, every single chapter, every single page in Proverbs, just over and over how relevant the Scripture is, how much God gets it. And so the, the Proverbs are, are these wise statements, maybe things about how to make better decisions, general cause and effect things, and then today, of course, about relationships. The sermon today will, will kind of outline this way. You'll see it there on the back on, on your handout. I want us to get this morning quickly an idea of how the people that first heard this, first read this, how would they have understood this verse? Do you realize that the Bible was written originally to real people in a real situation, not living in 21st century America? Now that may be news to you. And I say that tongue-in-cheek to some degree, but it's important to realize that, right? It was written to real people. This this is not an abstract book that was just thrown out there into the the universe, and hopefully somebody will get it. God inspired people to write it to specific people, so the first thing that we need to understand about any particular part of Scripture is what did God intend for them to understand back then, okay? So we're going to get there. So the first step in studying Scripture, this is all bonus material, how to study the Bible, all right? The first step is let's figure out what did they understand, all right? You'll see that there. We're going to get to that. And then we'll move to a second step. But why in the world does that even matter to us? I mean, why is that important? I mean, that's the second step, okay? So we we kind of, here's what it means. I've heard it said the scripture can't mean what it never meant. So just make sure you understand that. Here's what it means to them or what it meant to them. Here's why that's important to us. And then the next step is what do I do about that, all right? Now, a lot of times we start backwards. Again, bonus material this morning. We start backwards. We say, what does this mean to me? That's important, but it's not the foundation. So we're going to go back to the foundation, try to help you understand, unpack a little bit, what would they have understood when they read or heard this verse? Then we're going to determine why that even makes a difference to us, and then we're going to end with a starting point that you can take with you this week. So here's the scripture, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. What would they have understood? Now before I put this stuff on the screen for you, All right, so hang on back there. Before we get on the screen, I I want to look at the verse a little bit, pick it apart just briefly, and then we'll we'll summarize. Here's what they would have understood. First of all, you look at the imagery. What does it say there? Iron sharpens iron. Now, for us, that means nothing. Unless you work with metal all the time, and maybe some of you do, this means relatively little to you. I'm not a handyman. Mark knows that. I call Mark. Anything goes wrong, I'm going to call Mark. That's what's going to happen. He knows, you know, if, if, if I, most of the time when I call, when I call Mark, I'm sure he's, he's thinking, how much time is this going to take me? But I'm not a handyman, all right? I don't work with metal. I don't work with wood. I've never taught that kind of stuff. It's just not my thing. So when I read something like this, I have to study it a little bit to understand what in the world is this process about? Some of us have no clue here when you say iron sharpens arm. What is he talking about? They, however, would have immediately known. The, the Bible puts things in terms that its original readers and hearers would have immediately understood and resonated with. It's for us to, to then determine what do they understand and go from there. The, there are two ways that metal can be shaped and iron back then would have been formed. I, I've been a couple of times to the Marketplace 29 AD. I don't know if you know anything about that, but it's, it's there in one of the alleys downtown during fall break for the schools, and many of the churches around there partner together, and they put on this display of what life was like way back when Jesus was on the earth. One of the really neat little aspects, and sort of like a booth, if you will, is set up to show you what metalwork was like. And so I talked with Martin Severns, who's the pastor at Memorial Baptist, and Martin uh, is the guy each, each year who, who does this kind of demonstration on how do you work with metal. And I saw him Friday, and I said, Martin, I'm preaching on iron sharpens iron. What in the world does that mean? Tell me when you're talking. He said, there's two ways you can, you can do this metal working kind of stuff, he says. He says, you can heat it up or you can take something away. So when they would have read this or they would have heard this, they would have immediately thought, well, you've either got to heat it up, and begin to hammer on it. So you heat it, get it really, really hot. You start beating on it. You put it in some kind of vise to bend it while it's really, really hot. You heat it up again, hammer on it some more, and eventually you stick it in something to cool it. And then it's shaped the way you want it. So you can heat it up. Now that doesn't take anything away from the metal. You're just bending it, pounding it, making it making it pliable. He said the second thing you can do is take something away. And that's after you've already got something close to a finished product... And you begin with a file. You begin to file it down. You're taking something away. And then you begin to buff the metal just a little bit to make it finalized in what you want. When these folks would have read or heard this scripture, they would have thought they're either talking here about about heating something up to make it to what you wanted or taking something away from it. So when you heat it, you hammer it, you heat it, you hammer it, you cool it, whatever. You take something away, you file it down, you buff it, you file it down, you buff it. All of this would have taken a specific purpose for the metal, a good plan, somebody with patience and time and expertise to know what they're doing with this, and so that's what they would have begun to understand. So the imagery is is about you can do one of two things: heat it, take something away. Then you look at the relationship to life. As iron sharpens iron, some versions say, so one man sharpens another. Now there's a there's a word there that's implied that's not in our English translation today, but there's a word there that's implied essentially to say one person sharpens the face, the countenance of another person. So you get a picture that on the outside they've been changed because something has happened on the inside of them to be changed. So in the same way that iron is worked, that it is shaped in some way, that's how people, when they relate to one another, when they begin to be in relationship that is growing and meaningful, they begin to change and shape and bend heat up, if you will, to mold and shape or take something away from the countenance, from the character of another person. They would have immediately understood this to be an analogy about how we are shaped as people. It's not hard to imagine that, even in our time, that it's a very clear analogy. Just as metal is worked, that's how our character is developed. So what would they have understood from all of this? Well, underlying this whole verse is the idea from the entire New Testament that they would have immediately understood, and that is very simply that character matters. It it matters. They knew when they read this verse, when they heard this verse read to them, that God cared about how they lived, (coughs) And they knew that this was about their character development becoming more like God in the first place because character matters. It mattered first to God. They knew that God cared how they lived their lives and how they didn't. It was a reflection on Him. And in order to be sharp on the inside and the outside, they would need to be around people that would help them get there. So character mattered. They knew that, and they knew that they were to, to continue to become molded and shaped, even if it meant taking something away from them, molded and shaped to be like God. That was the trajectory of the Old Testament. That's why God gave the Scripture that He gave, was to help them to understand who He is and what He wants from them. Character mattered. Why is that important to us? Well, as I told you before, we have to understand what God wanted them to understand. Then we draw the bridge from culture to culture and we begin to cross that to understand what God wants us to know today. Why is this important to us? I think really for the same reason that it was important to them because character matters. It's not a real hard one today. Some of you already guessed that. You're you're good. You filled in the blank already. Mm-hmm. When you're back then and you see a verse about the shapening, the sharpening of a a person, they would have understood that to mean that their character was going to be shaped, that it needed to be shaped because it mattered to God. I don't think I want to change anything about that particular meaning this morning because I think it still applies. I think it's the very same thing because our character first matters to God. We are to be a demonstration, the scripture tells us, to the world of the life of God in us. The scripture very plainly tells us in Matthew 5, 16, what? Let your light shine. Light is a reflection of who you now are, no longer in darkness, but light made brand new by God. Let your light shine, what? In such a way that people will see it, see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Character matters to God because we are to be a demonstration. Now, let me just say this. The essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you leave here today, and you go and you change your character and you're going to become different so that God will love you now. Let me tell you, God does not love you anymore if you go and do all that stuff than he did when you first walked in this morning. God does not love you any less because you have committed sins than he would if you were absolutely doing your best to not do those things anymore. God's love for you is constant and remains the same and it was demonstrated for you once and for all by the death of of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's love is constant. It will never change. This is not about, now let's go out and let's be the kind of people God wants us to be so that God will finally love us. The essence of the gospel is that you could never be on your own made lovable by God, but he loves you anyway. You can never be made, as the scripture tells us, you can never be made righteous Holy, perfect before God on your own. And so God sent Jesus to do that for you. You don't have to. This is not about trying to earn God's love. Don't make make that mistake this morning. What this is about is in response to that love, how do we live? How is it that we love God by submitting ourselves to Him? We understand that our character matters. So we don't change our character to be made lovable by God. We let him change our character in response to his love and out of love for him. We've seen that the Old Testament is full of character shaping of God's people. Israel constantly, God's working on them to mold them and shape them. And then you fast forward to Jesus and one particular scripture of Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus sums it all up, really. Here's what the character of of God's people is to be about. If you ever want to read something and say, wow, I'm really convicted by that, check out the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus shows us that character matters. He begins by talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who before God know they have nothing to offer and must come to him, absolutely poor and broken, and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And then he begins to spell out for them, here's what life in the kingdom of God is to be like. Here's the character of the people in the kingdom of God. Jesus showed, taught, and just demonstrated that character matters. Who you are matters. That should be, honestly, the main reason why we should be worried about our character being sharpened, about being sharpened from the inside out, because it matters to God. I could give you all the reasons, and I'll give you a couple in a minute, why it's going to help your life if you are the person that God wants you to be. But if you start there, that's going to run out quick, because guess what? Something's going to go wrong. You're going to be the person that God wants you to be, and somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's going to have a problem. It's going to go wrong for you. So if that's your motivation, then that may run out quickly. But if your motivation is, you know what, this matters to God. I want to be the person God wants me to be. Because he's, he, he wants me to be this person, I'm going to submit myself to Him. That won't end. So our character matters to God. But secondly, as I just mentioned, I believe it's, it's evident that our character matters because it dictates the quality of your life, because your character dictates the quality of your relationships. And your relationships, of course, dictate the quality of your life. You think about your relationship with God. Who you are right now before God. Your relationship, maybe it's been interrupted by sin in your life. Maybe you feel like the fellowship with God is not as close as it once was. Certainly your character affects that relationship. Think about the relationship you got with your family. Maybe you're a married person today. And, and, and the life that you're living, it drastically affects your marriage. Or maybe you're in a family and you're a younger person. Now, your character affects your relationship with your brothers and sisters, your parents or whomever. Maybe you've got friends and co-workers and you see how character affects that. <coughs> Certainly character dictates the quality of our life because it dictates the quality of our relationships. It's important to them because... They recognize that God cares about how they live and it's important to us because God cares about how we live. Iron sharpens iron and it says one man sharpens another. There are, as I mentioned, two different ways that God uses people, I believe, to sharpen our character. Some people apply heat. You ever had somebody like that? They they may not be rude, but they're going to come to you and, 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 and... I hope that they're they're in relationship with you where you receive it, but they're going to let you know that that's not right. They see something in you, and I'll just say this. If you you have ever been in a marriage, uh, most likely the tendency will be for that relationship to be used in a sharpening way that applies heat, if you know what I mean. That person doesn't pull any punches with you most of the time. Uh, Parents, by and large, to children, don't pull a whole lot of punches in telling you where your character is a little messed up. But, you know, I really believe that this can be handled also when applying heat in a very gracious and gentle way. Last week we looked at the scripture in Galatians 6 where it says, if anybody is struggling in a particular sin, those who are spiritual should restore them with a gentle spirit. So when you think about this sharpening that takes place in relationship, help me become who I need to be, it's not as if you just need to throw yourself open before somebody and say, tell me everything that's wrong with me. (laughs) Be careful who you tell that to. But I do believe there's a way that the heat, if you will, can be applied so that we can be molded and shaped into the character of Jesus Christ, and we need people who will tell us, you know what, I don't think that's the right thing. Not because they don't have any sin in their life, not because they're perfect, but because they love you and care for you. You know, the second way that I mentioned that metal can be worked and that we can be worked in relationship is to have something filed away. Isn't it interesting over time that when you're in close relationship with somebody and you begin to rub against one another, if you will. How, how over time it can make you a, a much more gracious person. Now, the longer that I, that I live and the more that I'm in relationship with people, even if from a distance, the more I realize in my own life what needs to be filed away in order for me to be the person that God wants me to be in the roles and relationships that I have. It's real easy for me to look and say, well, boy, if they just wouldn't do this... If they wouldn't say that, if they would do this instead of that, and yet their rubbing against me just proves to me over and over that maybe that friction is something that God needs to whittle down in my life and and make me more gracious, make me more forgiving, and help me to see things from His perspective. I've got two questions this morning for you in closing as a result of this particular verse. Iron, iron sharpens iron. And one person sharpens another in relationship. As we begin to relate to one another and to talk and to converse and to, to go through life together, the first question that I have just by implication is, how sharp do you want to be? I think it's a legitimate question. It's not rhetorical. I'm not convinced that everybody wants to be the person that God wants them to be. I believe there's something deep down inside of you. You say, yeah, I want to. But honestly, how sharp do you want to be? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, how sharp do you want to be? This is not about earning God's love, as I said. In a marriage, how good do you want your marriage to be? Parents, how how great of a parent, really, do you want to be for your children? Young people. What kind of person do you want to be? I don't ask again, I don't ask it rhetorically. You know, as you age, what kind of elderly person do you want to be for those around you? What kind of coworker? How sharp do you want your character? I think it's worth asking. And I think it's worth you spending some time this week and me getting alone with God this week and saying, God, I you know what, I I'm not sharp. I, I, I want you to mold and shape my character so that in my marriage, in my parenting, in my work, wherever you may be, God, that I'm like Jesus. There may need to be some heat applied or some filing away of things. But, but answer the question this week. I don't really mean it. How sharp do you want to be? Because to continue to float through life and say, nah, I'm okay. I'm not where I maybe need to be, but more, I'm not over here. I think we're missing out when we do that. How sharp do you want to be? And so as a result, the second question is, who will you invite to sharpen you? This isn't just getting alone before God and opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit and saying, sharpen me. By implication, this verse indicates there's somebody else that needs to be involved as well. God with skin on, if you understand what I mean. How sharp do you want to be? Where do you see the deficiencies? As I mentioned, you've got lots of roles you're playing and some of those are difficult. How sharp do you want to be in them? I I mentioned to you that my assumption is that there's something about you that wants to be the person God wants you to be. Really, how sharp do you want to be? And I mentioned to you as well that I believe you and I have probably evaluated our lives and we see all of our shortcomings and we're beating ourselves up or we're giving up. So who will you invite into your life? to sharpen you. I've got a couple of guys like this. And I actually had a great opportunity to meet with a friend not long ago and it was a sharpening experience. so much fun. We were trying to explore the Scripture and determine what is this and what is that and boy, how does this apply to our lives and it was an absolute blast because I could feel God sharpening me through that. I have... One goal that I hope one day I will say with full honesty is my only goal. My goal is to be the most godly man that my wife and children will ever know. I hope with full honesty one day I can say that's my only goal in life, but I recognize my own sinfulness. And How sharp do you want to be? Not a guilt question. Not at all. Not go and well, beat yourself up. No, no, honestly, God, you know what? Today, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I want to be sharper in this area. And so as a result, I'm, I'm going to find somebody who's walking with Jesus who I can say, look, would you help me? Help me get to where God wants me to be. There's no shame in that. That's exactly what God wants you to do. I look around this room this morning, and I see folks who've been walking with Jesus a long time and others who maybe have just begun. Others who say, well, you know, I made a decision a long time ago, but man, now I know I got to get serious about this. I want to be the person God wants me to be. Let me just encourage you. You need somebody with you on that journey. I look around also when I see some of our older folks here. Please don't quit. Please don't retire on your Christianity and on your mentoring of the younger people in our church. Please. I mean that sincerely, I don't mean that as patronage. For those who have been walking with Jesus for so long, we need your influence. Don't quit. How sharp do you want to be, and who will you invite to sharpen you? I'd encourage you to spend some time with that this week. See what God has to say about it. Who is it that He wants in your life? And then be intentional. Be bold and be courageous to go and say, you know what, can we grab lunch? Can we talk? Shoot them a text, fire away. How sharp do you want to be, and who will you invite? to help make that happen. Let's pray together. Stay with your head bowed and maybe your eyes closed to focus in on what God might be saying to you. I, and I, I try to make a point each week because without this point, none of it matters, but I, I try to make sure each week to pause during the sermon and certainly after to reiterate what the gospel message of Jesus Christ is all about. That He loves you in your sin. That He died for you because death is the payment for sin. And He holds out to you as an offer of grace, new life, forgiveness, freedom from the power and the penalty of sin. Not only for all eternity, but to begin that right now. His offer of love and grace is there. And whether you've been in church your whole life or this is your first Sunday, let me just encourage you, don't play a game with God. Don't pretend with God. Don't assume that just coming to church or doing good things that that pleases God. The Bible tells us that Jesus alone by His life was able to please God. And then in Hebrews it says, without faith it's impossible for us to please God. There is a way that the relationship between you and God can be made right, and His name is Jesus Christ. So maybe this morning your decision has nothing to do with inviting somebody into your life to sharpen you, a friend, a parent, a co-worker, but it has everything to do with you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ you may say, how do I do that? I don't have any magic words for you. Just tell God you're surrendering your life in faith. Believing in Him, repenting of your sin, pour it out to Him. And then I would encourage you, for those who are walking with God, let this be another step along the way to say, you know what, I, I need some people to sharpen me. Identify those roles in which maybe you're struggling, what's hard, and the things you're beating yourself up over, and the shortcomings you see, and say, Lord, show me who it needs to be. Put that person in my life that will help me become the person you want me to be. God, that's our prayer this morning. We surrender to you and we give it all to you. Mold us and shape us to be like what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.